0: Well, Fanny Crosby was born March 24th. Anyone guess the year? March 24th, 18 what? 18 something. Okay, you got it. You're right. That's 100 years. 1871. Good guess. But before then, 1820. Close enough, Bill. You get credit. You're within 10. 1820. Um, she was born. 50 miles north of New York City, and I know that many of you know her story. It's at six weeks old. She caught a cold, and her eyes developed some kind of inflammation. Um, They put some kind of mustard plaster on her eyes, in her eyes, around her, whatever. I don't know exactly what this is. Um, But they put that on their eyes just to help with some of the discharges. She and her parents thought that that caused her blindness, Physicians today look back, say no, that wouldn't have caused her blindness. Um, they think it was more congenital. At any rate, she became blind as an infant and really never, never saw. Uh, I'd love to tell you the story about her, but enough to say that her blindness didn't stop her. She loved Jesus and her love for her Savior. She did whatever she could. And she wrote poems, many of which have become hymns. In fact, she wrote 8,000 hymns in her lifetime. It's a lot of hymns. And uh, in fact, she's been called the queen of gospel songwriters. I-, I looked in our hymnal and discovered that of anybody in all the hymnal that we have, her hymns are more than anybody else. She wrote 16 of the hymns that we have in our hymnals. Uh, there were two others tied at 16. Any guesses who those were? Isaac Watts, not quite. Not quite. He was in the more like uh, 13 range, 12 range. Anyone else? <laughs> Charles Wesley. Yep. And then one more. You'll never guess this. Yes, you got it. <laughs> Bill and Gloria Gaither. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and Virginia says, oh no. <laughs> That's right. We could take those out of the hymnal. That would be that would be just that would be just fine. Well her hymns her hymns um were often often penned when a, a visiting pastor would come and spend some time with her and and, and maybe it's some kind of project or some sermon series or some kind of thoughts that would be on, on his mind or this he talked about the Lord and some of Redemption. Fanny, that would that would be a good a good song is to maybe write a, write a, can you write a poem about redemption? And then shortly after, maybe the day after, a couple weeks later Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of a lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, help me, and forever I am. Um, or a minister comes and says, Fanny, how about, how about a song about God and His glory? And soon afterwards, to God be the glory, if you say it with me, great things He hath done, so loved He the world, that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Or, Fanny, how about a song about about the preciousness of the cross of Christ. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Everyone, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. Well, one occasion, and I think this was a pretty unique occasion, it wasn't that the pastor came and suggested a topic. It was that one of her friends, who was a, a rank amateur musician, came... And she said to Fanny, "Fanny, you know what? I've got this. I got this tune that's on the, that's on my mind, and it goes like this." And then, just right there, she says, "Fanny, what does that say to you?" And we know what that says. To so it, what does it say? "Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine." Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his word. You know that hymn is really the heartbeat of first John. we've been looking at the last few months. we've just been going through this epistle. First John is all about assurance. The purpose statement, chapter five, verse 13. I've mentioned almost everything in one of my sermons. Let's say it together if you know it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. These things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. Now, sadly, there are those who don't know they have eternal life and they lack assurance. And for them... Fanny Crosby's hymn may go something like this. And there are many professing Christians who lack uh, assurance. Not much assurance. Maybe he's mine. Maybe I'll make it to heaven sometime. Watching and waiting, wringing my hands, never quite sure of where I might stand. The Apostle John would never want us to sing that. Would never want us to sing... I don't have much assurance, maybe he's mine. Instead, he'd want us to sing Fanny Crosby's hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Because he wrote 1 John so that we might know that we have eternal life. He he wrote that we might be assured that we have eternal life. That is the purpose, that is my aim this morning, is to help assure you that you have eternal life. Now, if you don't have eternal life, then it might disrupt you, which is fine as well. And nowhere does this emphasis... So strongly about assurance as does our text this morning If You haven't done so already open your bibles to first john if you have a pew bible page 10 23 1023 first 1 john chapter 4 We're going to start in verse 13 as we've been working our way right through this epistle Our text today is first john four thirteen through 20 Through 21. Let me just read it for you by this. We know that we abide in him and he in us And there you just see the knowledge. We we know this, okay? We know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My message this morning is entitled Blessed Assurance. and I simply want to walk through these, these verses. Just kind of one verse at a time. Maybe my message today may feel more a little bit like running commentary with some application. Just one point. For each verse, nothing fancy, but reasons why we have blessed assurance. Here's here's my first one. Blessed assurance we have because we have the Spirit. That's verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Okay, there it is. We know that we abide in God and we know that God abides in us because... Here's why He's given us of His Spirit. We have assurance because... We have His Spirit. Now, John has spoken at length already about abiding. Back in chapter 2, verse 24, three times in this one verse. It's right there. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. In other words, you take the teaching of the Gospel, the teaching that Christ died for our sins. We believe that. We embrace that. That eternal life comes through faith in Jesus. And that teaching as it abides, abides in you, which, which means if it abides in you, it means you've fully embraced it, you fully grasped it, it's down deep into the bottom of your soul, and that genuinely you are trusting Christ alone for your forgiveness, then the promise of chapter 2 verse 24 is that you will abide in the Son and in the Father means that if you abide in that teaching, you will abide in the Son and the Father. You'll be deeply rooted into them. And the promise, the the thing that's good news about this verse here, chapter 4, verse 13, is that it speaks about how He will abide in us. Verse 13 again. By this we know that we abide in Him. And here it is. This is the new part. And He in us. Because He has given us of His Spirit. See, it's through the Holy Spirit that we know and experience the presence of God. And so you, you ask this question, right? How do I know if I have the Spirit? It's a, it's a good question. Well, like much of 1 John would encourage you to just look at your life. What sort of life do you live? What sort of choices do you make? Are you living in submission to God or are you living in love with the world? Are you obeying the commandments of God or are you just pursuing your own fleshly desires? You just look and see what your what your life is. Or chapter 3, verse 24 Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us almost the same sort of thing. But look at the first part of 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God abides in him. See, there's a direct link between abiding and obeying and the one who abides will obey and the one who obeys will have then the spirit dwelling in us. And so you say, how is it? that I know if I have the Spirit, you just look at your life. Is there obedience in your life? Is there a pattern of, of following the Lord? That's how you know if the Spirit, because when the Spirit is in someone's life, it will work itself out in obeying and following the Lord. You want blessed assurance? No, you have the Spirit. Second point, verse 14. You want blessed assurance? Know this, that we have the testimony. We have the testimony, verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And of course, this is what we celebrated a couple of days ago at Christmas, right? Christmas is celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. Matthew one twenty one, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the Savior of the world. And, and how do we know that this is true, that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Because we have the testimony of the apostles. In fact, look, look again there in verse 14. And we have seen and testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The we, John is talking about John himself, and he's talking about the rest of the apostles, those who experienced and had seen Jesus. Those who had, to be precisely, seen Jesus, those who had seen him, they testified to him. That's how John began his epistle. Look in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, probably the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we saw him, we touched him, we looked upon him, and that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. They say that was a life that was manifest, that they had seen and they testified to it, and they proclaimed to us the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. And here it is, the same almost parallel thought here is that we have the testimony. We have seen him and we testify him. And what we have is we have the testimony of the apostles. And that's how we know that we have assurance because we are placing our assurance in some regards that the apostles have transferred the message of Jesus to us. You remember when Peter was preaching to the crowds, was arrested by the Sanhedrin. Here was his testimony. There's salvation in no other name for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved through Jesus Remember when uh, the Philippian jailer cried out to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And these who had seen Jesus, Paul had seen him on the Damascus Road, said, of course, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your household. That's the testimony of the apostles. Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins, and their testimony is true and reliable. And in trusting that testimony, we can have assurance. And, And we know that it's in the Bible And we have immense privilege of listening to that testimony. Every week at Rock Valley Bible Church, we have the immense privilege of reading about that every week. But it's not enough to just have the testimony. We need to believe this testimony, of course. And that's what verse 15 speaks about. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is God. So another reason why we have blessed assurance is because we have our confession. The testimony is there, and our confession is basically that we agree and believe in the testimony. And our confession gives us assurance because our confession is this that takes the testimony of the apostles and and expresses it as ours paul said this way if you confess with your mouth jesus lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved that's what it means to confess jesus as the son of god that's what verse 15 here says whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god And confessing Jesus, the Son of God, means embracing Him for everything that He is, that He has revealed Himself to be, that He is Lord, that He died on the cross for our sins, that God raised Him from the dead. And if this is your confession, you will be saved. You are saved. But this is a confession. This is a verbal confession. And have you done that? Have you made a verbal profession of Jesus? And and I, I think it's more than just one verbal profession. Oh, yeah, one time when I was eight years old, I remember confessing Jesus as my, my Savior? No, this is, this is constantly. We all should be confessing, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the, the Son of God. I'm confessing Jesus, the Son of God, the one who, who was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. He ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from when she's coming to judge the living and the dead. We read words similar to that in the Nicene Creed today. Just there's your confession of Jesus. I believe that. I'm embracing that. Christianity knows nothing of an inward personal faith that never expresses itself. When you have that faith, it will express itself. You will talk. You will say. You won't be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus said it this way, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father, the holy angels. In, in other words, right? He says, if you're ashamed of me and not confessing me, He'll return the favor and be ashamed of you and not confess you. But if you're talking about your love for Jesus and, and confessing everything you do there, then Jesus can do the same to the Father. See, your faith is not just a private matter between you and God. In order to have this blessed assurance, you need to be talking about it. You need to confess this. And, and maybe that might happen in your family. You think about many of you with unsaved family this week, many of you are with saved family this week. Did, did that come out? Did a profession of Jesus come out this week? Have you confessed to anybody that, yes, I'm believing and trusting in Jesus this week? Because that's the confession that we need to have. It's just simple, right? S- standing up for Christ. Confessing you believe in Him. Whether it's at home or is at work or wherever you are. Well, let's move on. We, we have blessed assurance because we have the Spirit. We have the testimony. We have the confession. Uh, verse 16, I just said this. We have love. So we have come to know. And, and by the way, here it is. Look, look at how often... He says, we've come to know, we know, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him, right? And here is, we've seen and testified. This is solid stuff. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe that love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about love. Love, in fact, is what motivated Jesus to come and bring salvation to us, right God so loved the world that He gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It was love that induced the Father to to give the son it 's love that brought Jesus to us, and that 's what we believe about God. We believe that He has love toward us. we believe that He has favor toward us, not because of how good we are, not because of what we can do for him, but simply because of His sovereign grace that just says, I'm going to love these people. Despite our wayward ways, right? Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We, we, see, we, we've gone astray. We've gone our wayward ways. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That's Jesus taking our punishment for what we deserve, even though we're going astray. It's while we're enemies that, that God loved us we're still sinners god demonstrates his own love toward us that while we're yet sinners he died for us it's, it's, it's because of god's love for us he loves because his essence is love look at verse 16 again it says this we've come to know and believe the love that god has for us god is love we talked about this last week verse 8 says exactly the same thing god is love And yeah, when you think about god is love don't confuse it by thinking about love is god there are many people who, who confuse that. It's not the case. It doesn't work that way. Think about this tautology. Grass is green. We understand that, right? Even in Rockford at Christmas time, grass is green. But that doesn't mean that green is grass, does it? Because grass is so much more than green. Grass is soft grass is ground cover grass is food for horses see see grass is bigger than green though grass is green the the essence of grass it is is greenness and so likewise with love god god is love see there's so much more to god than love though it's not love is god because god is light god is spirit god is holy God is merciful and gracious. God is judge. God is a refuge and strength. Now, it's not that God is part love and and part light and part spirit and part holy. No, these things are all the fullness of him in every way all the time. In fact, I would say this. God is love. His love shines most brightly against the backdrop of the God is holy. Right? The fact that he is holy and, and demands our righteous perfection and His holiness demands His punishment for our sin. His love will bring our salvation through Christ. So don't divide it up and say that love is God because it says God is love. No, God is love. There is the essence of God, but God is also other things as well and embrace those things in there in their fully. But we can have blessed assurance because we have love. Now, verse 16 speaks about the love of God has for us, but it also speaks about the love we have for others. Look at the end of verse 16. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's where assurance comes from. See, our assurance comes from the fact that when we abide in love, that's just deeply rooted part of us and our being is that we are loving people. We're loving others. See, when God manifests his love in our life and we abide in that love to others, God is abiding in us. I mean, we looked last week and He even sang, Andy at the end of our service beloved let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves been born of God and knows God whoever does not love does not know God because God is love right love in our life gives us assurance that we know God when you find yourself loving you find yourself assured that you know God but if you find yourself not loving there is where the doubt comes and rightly so because if we don't love we don't know God We'll get that down to verse 20. We'll see that. And so also in verse 16, that's where it is. If we abide in love, love saturates our lives. We'll demonstrate it not merely by words, chapter 3, verse 18, but by actions. And when we do that, we'll be assured that God abides in us. That's the teaching of verse 16. We have love. All right, reasons why we have blessed assurance. Verse 13, we have the Spirit. Verse 14, we have the testimony. Verse 15, we have the confession. Verse 16, we have love. And now verse 17, we have confidence. Particularly, we have confidence for the day of judgment. By this is love perfected with us, verse 17, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. In other words, right, when God's love Does its perfect work in us. We can stand assured of the forgiveness of our sins before God. See, the issue concerning the day of judgment is an issue of of justice, is it not? Right? You you stand before a judge, and, and what is his job? His job is to render justice. He's gonna look and he's gonna see your conduct. Did you do right? Or did you do wrong? If you did right, no punishment, you're free. If you did wrong, the punishment comes. And the judge's job is to make sure the punishment fits the crime. And when we embrace the love of God. He's willing to forgive us our sins. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we can stand before God with confidence because we know our sins are, are forgiven. It's what we have. We've got confidence. Now, there's a strange reason for this confidence. Verse 17. This is maybe the technical part of my sermon, which is actually going to be more of a cop-out than a technicality. But it says this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And that's a strange reason for our confidence. Okay, And I wrestle with that. And I tried to figure out what that was. And I don't really know. All right? But there's some reason why... The reality that he is and that also we are in the world helps us having confidence for the day of judgment. Uh, This is the best thing I can do. I I think it has reference to the incarnation. I think it has reference to Christmas time because the verse speaks about us also being in the world. And if it's also us being in the world, then it means that he was in the world because as he is, maybe he is in the world, he is, was in the world, he is, we also are in the world. And so I think what it means, just as Jesus was in the world and conquered the world through abiding in God, so we too can overcome our our temptations that come our way, so much so that, that we can have confidence before God. Confidence for the day of judgment gives us assurance that indeed we are a child of God. Now, there are many people with false confidence, especially about the judgment. They just don't worry about it. It's just like not on their mind. They think that we live and then we die. And so they don't even think about the judgment. And so they can have a, a clear conscience. They don't worry about it. They have, they have no fear. They have no, no problem in that. They have confidence in that. But the problem is they're not thinking rightly. No, God is a just God. And He will bring He will bring His wrath upon those who don't believe and trust. And, and, and God will be all about justice on that day. And we look at our works. We're going to tilt our works, sadly, on the bad side. But it's Christ's. Who then changes the scales and takes our punishment for our sin. And therefore, every wrong we ever done was punished, will be punished, but was punished at the cross for those who believe. It's the only escape. It's the blood of Jesus. And through the blood of Jesus, we have confidence even for that final day. All right, well, let's move on then. It's a running commentary here this morning. Right? Why we have blessed assurance. We have confidence, verse 17, and that slides in then into the same idea about, about having no fear. We have no fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear is to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, these are talking about the same thing. 17 and 18, talking about the judgment of God. Uh, talking about, verse 17 speaks about having confidence for the day of judgment. Verse 18 speaks about having no fear of punishment from the judging hand of God. There's confidence, there's no fear. There's talking about the same thing. As we abide in God's love, we purge our souls from the fear of of his judging hand. You need to you need to really grasp this and catch this. Abide in the love of God. And that fear that you have of standing before God will be wiped away. You see, there are many professing Christians who live in constant fear. They fear that God's going to punish them for every sin they commit, like a tick for tat, like, oh I, I do this and then God's going to God's going to zap me for that. And, and they fear that they'll never quite please God enough. Or they, they will live in such a way that, well, I, I hope I get, I'm i good enough. I hope I'll get God's forgiveness. They they live in fear. And you know why they fear? They fear because they lack assurance. But if you have assurance in the love of God, the, the blanket of Christ, then there's no fear. You, you don't need to fear punishment. And according to verse 18, these people who live in fear, right, think that... Uh, the, the, the trials come because they're not embracing the love of God enough. No, but there is no fear, as verse 18 says, but perfect love casts out fear. See, because when you rest in the, in the love of God, you, you have no fear of punishment from His hand. You know God's love will be with you to guide you and to guard you and to keep you and protect you and to keep you secure. As Romans 8, 39 Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Here in the love of Christ I stand, is what we sing. That That He is there, He covers us with His love, we don't need to fear Him. That God, in His love, will never leave us or forsake us. We'll never be separated from God, you don't need to fear the punishing hand of God. Long ago, the Lord toward the children of Israel. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's saying, don't fear. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to protect you. And God has always taken care of his children in love, strengthening them and upholding them. That's the love of God. And as I said earlier, the love of God is... Will purge our souls from fear. You see someone fearful, I say, you know what? Direct them to the love of God. That's where they need to be directed. Verse 19, right? So, next one. My my point is here we have blessed assurance because we have love. Same as verse 16, it's saying the same thing. We love because He first loved us. Again, we see two, two loves God's love for us, our love for Him. And the priority of these loves are important. Because this is the essence of the gospel. It's not that we who initiate our love for God and then God came back and loved us. It was God who initiated His love towards us. And therefore then we respond in love towards Him. Isn't that what it says? We love because He first loved us. He loved us first and that's why we love. Chapter 4 verse 10 we looked at last week says almost the exact same thing. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us first. We respond in love. And the result of God's love toward us, by the way, is your freedom to love. You, you, can, you can love and extend yourself just as Christ did for us. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do. As, as God has loved us, so also are we to love other people. Because we are to be the hands and feet of God in love. All right, blessed assurance. Verse 13, because we have the spirit. 14, because we have the testimony. Verse 15, because we have the confession. Verse 16, because we have love. Verse 17, because we have confidence. Verse 18, we have no fear. Verse 19, because we have love. Verse 20, and this is really hard. I kind of cram this this um, this point in here. So I'm just calling this, we have a test. Because we have a test. Or we have the test. Or we, we understand what, what it means that... We have assurance. Verse 20 says this. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, we've seen this many, many times before. In fact, I counted up, I think, nine times before we saw this. Someone makes a claim with their mouth, and then it's verified or disproven with their life. Someone says this, all right, what does their life say? And John says, always go with the life, don't go with what was said. I, I, I just wish the American church would get that in their minds. It's not what's said, it is what's done that shows the reality. I mean, you, you, you can say anything you want about anything, and what, what's true then is whether you test it and whether indeed you see it's true. So like chapter 1, verse 6, let's just read through these, right? Chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're saying we have fellowship, we're walking in darkness, he calls us a liar, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. That is, we're saying we're in the light and we are walking in the light. Or verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. Right? We're saying one thing, but the truth is not in us. Or verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us because we have sinned. Or chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So if someone's saying, yes, I know God, but doesn't keep his commandments, you just say, liar, 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 pants on fire. And and there are lots of people who say, I know God. I I love God, right? Maybe on Sunday mornings, right, their hands are lifted high, they're seeking to worship God, and yet they're living... uh, disregarding to God's commandments. You say, they're a liar. Because when you love God, you will follow in the way of his commandments. John could not be more clear. And our society and our Christian world could not be more confused about this, by the way. You just say this little prayer when you're a child and you're okay forever. You got to look at the life. You got to see whether God's real in there. Because just because you say it doesn't mean that it's real. Chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light, I'm in the light. But if he hates his brother, I don't care what he says, he's still in the darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Verse, chapter 2, verse 11, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And, and there is really the core of, of John's letter. It's not what you say that gives you assurance. If you try to gain assurance by what you have said or what you have prayed before God, you're not going to have assurance. You're gonna have assurance when you take this test and see that there is genuine reality of God in your life. That's where you have assurance. Listen, Romans ten nine is true. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is totally true. But what is also true is if you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord, it will make an impact upon your life. Some have said it, no No Jesus, no change, no change, no Jesus. Right? Meaning that you believe in Jesus, it will change your life. That's true, but, but you, can, you can confess in a false way. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, that's not a matter of words. It will flesh itself out. And that is John's message. Flesh itself out in obedience, flesh itself out in love towards other people. And John points out how ridiculous it is for someone to make a claim they love God when in fact they're hating their brother. If anyone says, chapter 2, four, verse 20 again, if anyone says, I love God but hates his brother. Here it is. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, it's far easier to love someone you can see and touch than it is to love God who you can't see and can't touch. And if you can't love your fellow human being who you can see and touch then you can't love God who is invisible and you can't touch. That's exactly what verse 20 is saying. He says, it's not possible. You cannot love God. See, see, it says it's, a, it's, a, it's an impossibility. If anyone says, I love God, hates his brother, I hate his fellow believer, he's a liar... Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot. It's impossible if you're not loving your brother. If you, don't, if you hate your brother, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. We have a blessed assurance when we pass the test. And we have blessed assurance finally ninth because we have the commandment. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's really the flip side of verse 20. 20 is lower than negative. If you hate your brother, you cannot love God. But here it is. If you love God, you must love your brother. There's must. There is a, um, a compelling. Just as, as impossible it is, if you hate your brother, to love God. So likewise, if you love God, it has to be. It's a necessary following that you will love your brother. And again, that's... The importance of love. Right? Chapter 4 has been all about love. Hardly mentioned until then, but after this, mentioned a lot. To show yourself a lover of God, you must love others. And and if you do, if you are a lover of others, you will have blessed assurance that we're talking about. Well, let's open your hymnals to hymn number 572. Let's just sing a cappella. Maybe Chris, you can come up and, and play that for us. It's probably still still right up there. This is Fanny Crosby. This is a a living relationship that she has. You can just see oozing from her the heart that is um, loving and trusting your Savior. And thus she has her assurance. Hymn number 572. Just give us a little intro. Maybe the last four measures or something. I said assurance Jesus is mine oh what a for talking about today Uh, because of your spirit and your testimony and the confession that we have, the confidence that we can stand before you without any fear and the fact that we do indeed love our neighbor, God, because love comes from you first. I pray that we would have this heart of Fanny Crosby that just speaks about praising my Savior all the day long, just a a relationship with you that we would pray always that we would rejoice without ceasing. God, that our heart would always be there watching and waiting and looking for you, filled with your goodness, God, lost in your love. And so, God, I pray we would be lost in your love. God, the love you have for us that would transform our hearts to know that we have eternal life. So, God, may first John have its full effect in the lives of Rock Valley Bible Church in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.